everyone, it's Professor Smith. Uh, today we will uh, review the medications covered during the um, uh, adrenergic and cholinergic lecture. Um, if you see here the prototype list for medications, epinephrine, atenolol, bethenicol, and oxybutynin. ATI does a really good job of reviewing the background pathophysiology, differentiating um, the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic nervous system, which organs they innervate. Um, and so I will let ATI uh, be our resource for that information. Um, also, you know, kind of looking at these two systems, like what is the 20,000 foot view of these two systems? So we have the fight or flight system and we have the rest and digest system. So the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight system, the main um, neurotransmitter that we're looking at is norepinephrine. Remember, this, um, the other system, the parasympathetic nervous system, the main neurotransmitter is acetylcholine. Um, when we look at the sympathetic nervous system, um, there are more neurotransmitters than just epinephrine, but, or excuse me, norepinephrine, but that is one of the main ones. And the, the neurotransmitters within the sympathetic nervous system, those are called catecholamines, okay? So the, um, you can also see that after the neurotransmitters are released, there are also chemicals within the body that break down the neurotransmitters. These include um, monoamine oxidase, uh, catechol, methyl transferase, and acetylcholine esterase. Uh, it is essential to understand that if these chemicals are suppressed, the chemical that they break down will have a more significant effect on the body. If these chemicals are increased, these, um, these degradating enzymes are increased, the substances that they break down will decrease. Okay, So the increase or decrease in the neurotransmitter degradation chemical will directly affect circulatory volume of the neurotransmitter. The increase or decrease uh, amount of the neurotransmitter will have a lesser or more significant effect on this receptor site accordingly. Um, and for our purposes, the sites of activation as we look at these neurotransmitters are pupils, lungs, heart, blood vessels, GI tract, urinary bladder, ure, uh, uterus, and the salivary glands. So again, go back, look at uh, Pharmacology Made Easy 4.0 and review uh, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. We're going to jump right into the medications now. So our first drug is the adrenergic agonist class of drugs. Um, we should be thinking adrenaline when we hear adrenergic. Uh, we should be thinking stimulant when we see the word agonist. When we put these terms together, we're thinking of medications that can stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. So what is our drug? Our prototype drug is epinephrine, or also known as adrenaline. So overall, what are we looking to do with this medication? Let's look at its actual therapeutic uses. So we're using it in anaphylaxis treatment, um, severe bronchospasms, and we discussed local vasoconstriction as well. The local vasoconstriction is when we use it um, in the setting of 
incision and drainage or laceration repair, those type of things. Um, we'll focus mostly now on the anaphylaxis treatment and the bronchospasms. Remember, anaphylaxis uh, is a, um, a type 1 um, allergic, uh, excuse me, it is a type 1 hypersensitivity reaction. Um, it is, uh, it causes the mast cells to have a dramatic release uh, of histamine. So it's a histamine-mediated reaction. Our main drug that we're going to give in an anaphylactic reaction is going to be epinephrine, okay? So it can be given subcutaneously, like we said. It can be given IM, IV. It can be given local injection for its different uses. So when we're giving this medication, we need, actually need to like look at the patient overall. When we talk about stability, it is one of them. It is a very, uh, very big drug. It's a very strong medication uh, that we need to have con uh, elevated concern when administering because it will alter your vital signs. The patient is going to feel some potentially some palpitations. They will feel anxious, restlessness. You'll see on the cardiac monitor. Uh, that they're having tachycardia. There's also a potential for dysrhythmias, so rhythms that are too fast or rhythms that um, we'll get into later, but AFib, a flutter, those type of rhythms as well. Um, and it can get into some lethal rhythms, but we'll touch on that later. Um, it probably will also cause some hypertension. Um, and then if you, a physical exam finding could be hand tremors or arm tremors um, as well. So, no absolute contraindications for this medication. This medication, if we are using it to help for an anaphylactic reaction, unless there's a documented um, severe allergy to epinephrine, this is the medication that fixes allergic reactions or those anaphylactic treat um, uh, anaphylactic reactions. Okay, so this is this is kind of the last stop. This or nothing. Um, there are some precautions that we need to have, but it doesn't mean we won't give this medicine. So if they have pre-existing tachycardia or pre-existing dysrhythmias, those are, that would cause us pause, um, but it wouldn't stop us from giving this medicine. That would mean that we need to still ensure that they're on a bedside, continuous cardiac monitor, oxygen saturation probe, make sure we're checking their blood pressure frequently. And frequently in this setting means somewhere around every 15 minutes or so. Those are going to be very important nursing interventions. And remember, if they're having an anaphylactic reaction, we need to manage the airway as well. So are they on oxygen, nasal cannula? Are they, um, do they have a 100% non non-rebreather on? Um, all, of those, all of those individual pieces go into the overall management of someone who's having an anaphylactic reaction. Um, assessment pieces that also... Uh, are important when we are giving epinephrine in the setting of anaphylaxis, um, listening to breath sounds, looking at the patient, looking at the skin, how do they look, are they maintaining uh, good oxygen saturation, all those things need to be monitored very closely. And again, the main thing is the airway. We need to make sure they're maintaining their airway and that the patient's symptoms overall are improving. We will expect that they're gonna have tremors, palpitations, anxiety, restlessness, tachycardia, uh, nervousness, they're going to have those symptoms, but overall, are they breathing better? Is the reaction getting worse or is it getting better? And those physical exam findings that make you feel better um, or worse need to be um, monitored and evaluated 
frequently during the administration of epinephrine. Okay, and client education goes basically along the lines of what you're doing to monitor them and how they're going to feel when you're giving this medicine. Something else you need to think about is if an individual has had an anaphylactic reaction, your, your role now is to ensure that they are discharged home or they, sent, or they are, are sent home with uh, an EpiPen. If they've had a reaction, they now, uh, an anaphylactic reaction, they now need to have an EpiPen. Um, and they don't last forever. And um, so we need to make sure that they have not only have one, but it's actually current. It's up to date. It's not expired. Okay. So as we get into our next class of drug, the adrenergic antagonist, our medication for this is atenolol. The class of um, the, the category is really, it's an antihypertensive medication. It's a beta blocker. It's a ends in O-L-O-L. -L, so all beta blockers are going to end in that same suffix. This medication, um, the full category class name of this drug is a beta adrenergic blocker. So again, if we um, say adrenergic, we should connect those dots to adrenaline and an antagonist is going to um, connect the dot to actually blocking a receptor site. Okay, so this medication comes in and it blocks the adrenaline receptor sites. Um, we know that the potential outcomes will include those consistent with the parasympathetic nervous system. So leaning in the direction of what the parasympathetic nervous system would do if it's in charge versus the um, adrenergic side. All right, so when are we going to use this medication? This medication will be used in mostly in the setting of um, hypertension. There's other flavors of beta blockers as we get throughout the year. Um, we'll talk about them with more specificity and when we would use them, use other beta blockers versus when we would use a tenolol. Okay. It also can be used in the treatment of long-term chest pain. And it can be used in the setting uh, post myocardial infarction to help decrease myocardial damage and prevent reinfarction. All right. So this is a medicine that we know is was given to help lower the blood pressure, but we also can see that if the parasympathetic nervous system is actually um, in control, since we're blocking the adrenaline, we also know that it's going to affect the heart rate. So bradycardia is a real concern with this medicine. So hypotension, hypotension, and bradycardia are a concern after giving this medicine. So it also has to be a concern before giving the medicine. Before you give a beta blocker, you need to check blood pressure and heart rate. Um, this actually um, is so universal that you'll actually most likely see when you're in the hospital that there's hold parameters associated with beta blocker administration. So you will see hold for a heart rate less than 60 or hold for a systolic blood pressure less than 100 um, or hold for a MAP less than 70. Um, all things that are well within reason to think um, you will see when giving this drug. If you read the MAR, you read all the pieces of the MAR, it should be on there. It can be given both orally and through uh, the IV. Um, it is contraindicated when the patient has current sinus bradycardia 
current first degree heart block or a higher heart block, which we talked about as first, second, or third degree heart block, cardiac failure, shock, and orthostatic hypotension. If any of those are current things before we give the medicine, that's a contraindication. If the individual has a history of chronic lung disease to include chronic asthma and COPD, um, this medication is, uh, we need to be cautious with this drug. This drug, um, while it blocks beta-1, its effect on beta-2 can cause some bronchospasms. This is a cardioselective beta blocker, so it means that it is most likely to only affect the cardiac, uh, the beta-1 cells, but it has potentially um, the risk of affecting the beta-2 cells, and that's when we get the bronchospasm. Um, and so if they have a chronic lung disease, not the best drug. The other thing to think about is, remember, we're, we are blocking the adrenaline, adrenal system, okay? So if we're blocking that, something else to think about is the body's reaction to a low blood sugar. The, lo reaction to, the body's reaction to a low blood sugar is that um, the heart rate starts to go up. Uh, they come, become irritated. Really, it's you this ramping up of the, adre of the adrenaline side of the nervous system, okay? So if this medication comes in and blocks that from happening, you really can mask the signs and symptoms of hypoglycemia. And that's going to be a pretty big take-home point, okay? So interactions, any other drug that can decrease blood pressure or heart rate um, or can affect the lungs, um, there's a potential drug-to-drug -drug interaction. So blood pressure medications like calcium channel blockers um, are a... Uh, or other beta blockers, those are um, drug, to drug, drug to drug interactions um, can happen with those. Um, but truly any other antihypertensive medication, which we will get into later in the semester, none of these really, where you start giving multiple, none of these should be given together. If you're giving multiple uh, blood pressure medications, we need to make sure that we're maximizing the individual drug rather than laying drug on top of drug on top of drug, uh, because that's when you truly get uh, some significant bradycardia. Okay, so the nursing interventions are going to be monitoring heart rate and blood pressure before and after administration, uh, making sure that you know as the bedside nurse if the heart rate's less than sixty beats per minute, we're going to hold that. We're going to hold atenolol um, and monitor for signs of heart failure. What that means is that atenolol. Um, works in a way that it decreases the heart rate. It decreases the heart rate by slowing the speed of electrical conduction, conduction in the cardiac tissue. Um, it'll also decrease blood pressure, and it, it contributes to a decrease in blood pressure by decreasing the force of contraction in the heart. If I decrease the force of contraction in the heart, potentially cardiac output starts to go down. And if cardiac output starts to go down, the patient can have symptoms consistent with heart failure. So it's not that they're necessarily in chronic heart failure, but the medicine that we're giving them is causing them to have decreased cardiac output. So they potentially could have symptoms of um, left-sided heart failure or right-sided heart failure, depending on how their system is starting to back up. So client education is going to uh, include um, no abrupt cessation of this drug as it can cause rebound hypertension. Uh, avoiding sudden changes in position due to orthostatic 
hypotension being a real concern. And that's when you stand up too fast and you get dizzy and pass out. Um, and then if it's important enough for us to take their blood pressure and heart rate in the hospital before and after giving this medicine, then it should be important enough for them when they're at home as well. So the self-monitoring of blood pressure and heart rate before and after administration of the drug um, is important. Atenolol and some beta blockers can come in um, sustained release or controlled release tablets. Um, and remember, when we're talking about controlled release or extended release medications, these medicines should never be crushed. Okay, they, they should not be crushed. If you get if you crush one of these medications, you get a profound release of this medication all at once, and you'll have significant side effects. That's when you get significant bradycardia and uh, hypotension. Okay. Our next drug that we have is a cholinergic agonist. Okay. Um, you can tie this back to the beginning of the lecture by understanding acetylcholine is the neurotransmitter associated with the cholinergic system. And remember that the agonist is going to stimulate the receptor site. When the administration of a cholinergic, with the administration of a cholinergic agonist, we will be stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system. Our prototype drug is bethenicol. So when are we going to be giving this medication? So therapeutic use is going to be urinary retention. Potential side effects when giving this medicine include wheezing or bronchospasms. It can cause some low blood pressure and some bradycardia. Um, peptic ulcer, it can cause or worsen the peptic ulcer. It also can cause some dizziness and some uh, and syncope. It's an orally administered medication. Um, it can interact with uh, acetylcholine esterase inhibitors and beta blockers. So you as the bedside nurse need to understand um, it's going to be important to check blood pressure and heart rate before we give this drug as it can affect both. Eyes and nose are going to be important. Okay, so bethenicol, the way that it's going to work is that it helps increase the um, contraction of the detrusor muscle. Okay, so think if the individual has a weak stream or has a sensation of incomplete voiding, bethenicol might be a good drug. We also need to understand that if we're giving them medication that's going to increase the force of contraction of the detrusor muscle, then we also have to plan for urgent urination. So things that we can do as the bedside nurse is uh, implement a toileting schedule, uh, but also... Um, have maybe a urinal or a bedside commode uh, easily available. Um, but also when we're in the hospital, we need to think about fall risk. And if someone's going to um, has to go to the bathroom very urgently and uh, they jump up real quick, maybe we need to think about fall risk assessment as well with this drug. Client education includes um, the pregnancy category C. Um, it can cause some bronchospasm or wheezing, so they need to report any kind of difficulty breathing. Check blood pressure and heart rate. Clearly don't take it if you're allergic, but also report any dizziness or any syncopal episodes. We also discussed um, in lecture about the risk associated with GI obstruction. If this increases the force of contraction of the detrusor muscle, it's also going to potentially work on increasing 
uh, peristalsis in the GI tract. So if we increase peristalsis above where a current obstruction is, we could actually cause, cause a GI um, intestinal like rupture, right? So we need to be concerned, uh, make sure that we're doing good abdominal assessments, uh, making sure that we're staying on top of uh, the bowel and bladder pattern uh, and keeping close check on INOs. Um, realistically, ins and outs may be every shift. Um, they don't need to be really checked any more frequently than that, but symptoms need to be checked. Um, are we actually emptying the bladder? Um, are they having some suprapubic swelling? Um, anything like that would be of concern that maybe the medication isn't working correctly. The next drug that we'll look at is an anticholinergic or the cholinergic blocker. Okay, this drug is also identified, excuse me, but it is um, usually this class of drug uh, we refer to as the anticholinergic medications, okay? These two terms, both cholinergic blockers and anticholinergic medications are interchangeable. Uh, this medication is going to mimic blocking the parasympathetic nervous system and mildly activating the sympathetic nervous system. So our prototype drug is um, oxybutynin. Okay, its intended use is for an overactive bladder. It can also be used for neurogenic bladder, but we're going to stick with overactive bladder. Okay, so. Potential side effects include xerostoma, constipation, pupil dilation, drowsiness, um, and it's an orally administered medication, but there's also a transdermal patch. Remember when we're administering transdermal patches, we need to rotate not only um, where it is on the specific body site, uh, but also rotate to different body sites. So not always just use the right shoulder, or not always just use the left shoulder, or not always just use the thigh. We need to rotate body parts accordingly. Okay. It's contraindicated in acute closure glaucoma. This medication will could potentially increase intraocular, yeah, intraocular pressure. Um, and so it's contraindicated in glaucoma. That's what I want you to hold on, hold on to. And one of the big things, especially when you're in the hospital, is constipation. You need to make sure that anyone who is on an anticholinergic medication to include oxybutynin, we are um, scheduling bathroom breaks. We're monitoring uh, urine and bowel patterns. It's going to be important to make sure that they're still having regular bowel movements. It doesn't have to be every day. But if we're getting to that three, four day mark, that's really should start to catch our attention. We need to start putting interventions in uh, before we get too far down the road. Something to really pay attention to as well is the food drug interaction of grapefruit and grapefruit juice. Um, it can cause uh, varied effects of this drug. Okay. Um, client education, you know, if they're having zero stoma or the, the dry mouth, hard candy, sugar-free candy, um, could help. Um, increased fluid and fiber intake will help um, decrease the likelihood of constipation. And also, so is giving them up and getting them moving. We have to ambulate them safely. As long as they're not dizzy or having any syncopal episodes, um, 
we need to increase ambulation with these drugs to help decrease the chance of constipation. Remember, once you start treating side effects, then you're going down the road of polypharmacy, and then you're looking at drug-to-drug -drug interactions. Uh, maybe you're adding more than one medication that's on the beers list, and it's an elderly patient, so we start stacking on, uh, stacking on these problems uh, and contributing to more problems. Excuse me. Okay. So, all right. That, that wraps up our uh, podcast for today. Um, make sure as you're thinking about the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, you want to be able to identify what it looks like in the patient, right? Not just, oh, the urinary symptom, a urinary system um, in the sympathetic nervous side, nervous symptoms, excuse me, looking at the sympathetic nervous system when that is stimulated the urinary system relaxes the bladder, right? But that's not what we're necessary. That's the first step. The next step is like, well, well, what does that do at the patient level? It makes it more difficult to urinate or it makes it more uh, um, difficult to have a bowel movement, right? That's the lens that I want you to see it through. What does it look like in the patient, not just the organ that it's affecting? All right. Well, thank you very much. I hope you guys have a good day.